was born in Romania uh, in 91. She was dropped on a doorstep uh, with the umbilical cord still attached to her bleeding. Luckily, she had some parents from the United States who traveled to Romania, and there were a lot of good people in the States here who adopt children from all over the world, friends, from a lot of countries. Um, Americans have big hearts. And, uh, and they traveled, and, and Hannah was one of the blessed ones. She was the lucky one. She was one of the really blessed ones because Hannah, as you said moments ago, the orphanages are full in Romania, and a lot of children never, you were just, you were so blessed. Knowing when to break through the boundaries of average to question the unquestionable is the sign of greatness. It's those moments when you get to the absurd stage that things truly get interesting. Though the world is in need of a new generation of leaders, leaders who have the courage to break through the boundaries and question everything around them. Well, society is yearning for bold and enthusiastic women and men to provide the necessary leadership that will be required for the next leap forward. The journey to get to the brink can be unpredictable, but knowing you're at the brink, pure genius, my friends. Today, we are on the brink of greatness. I'd like you to meet Hannah Elizabeth Doherty. And when you find out what she's doing today and the work she's doing, I think it will really lift your spirits up. Uh, again, welcome to the Brink of Greatness. It's Malcolm Out Loud here with Kevin Williams. Uh, I want to bring it back all the way to 1991. Uh, Hannah, you were in Romania and uh, in 91. And uh, you were, uh, as I understand, you were uh, abandoned from your, your birth uh, mom uh, and your umbilical cord still uh, tied to you as a baby and bleeding. And you were put on a doorstep of, of someone. And, uh, and I think, again, back to that word, Hannah, fate, uh, fate can change. It can make such a difference. When you think about, and I'm sure you have thought about this, if circumstances hadn't gone a certain way at that moment of time in your life, you could still be living in Romania instead of the United States, correct? Yeah, correct. A French family was actually, um, had intended to adopt me and never showed up. So I always think about that. There could be three different lives. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's so true. Think about that one decision that somebody makes and how different that can change yeah. your whole life. You could be living in France and be speaking French, be a whole different mm -hmm. uh, program uh, for yourself. So, exactly. so let's bring it back to 91 at that point and tell me um, what you know of the earliest time and your earliest memory, but bring it back to the, uh, what happened when you were put on that doorstep. Yeah, so, well, my mom left a note stating that she wanted an education and couldn't afford me. Um, you know, the professor and his wife, um, whose doorstep it was, took me to um, a hospital, and that's where my adoptive parents ended up coming and um, adopting me from. Hannah, why do we know that your mom put you on that particular doorstep with that professor and his wife? Any reason that you know of? Um, we assume that she may have been a student um, of that professor and his wife, just based around, one, the note she left, and obviously um, those two individuals, those very specific, you know, yeah. industries. Now, I got to ask you this. Have you ever talked to them since or met the, that couple? I have not. Wow. Wouldn't that be interesting? Hmm. 
So I know that my parents kept in contact with them. Um, there's a woman who actually uh, moved to America who helped them with my adoption um, that we had been very close to growing up. So she and her family actually um, were living in, in Seattle, um, you know, where I grew up. Mm. And so, you know, we developed a relationship. But, um, yeah, that's those are the only people from there that I really have had a relationship or kept in touch with. I did, I was able to visit when I was 21. All right, let, let me take it from there now and, and bring it forward to this moment, this couple. It was fascinating to find out about this couple. But so, so you're, you, the doorstep between that and the adopted, the, the parents, the, the people that were coming to, to become parents, to adopt you, what kind of time are we talking? So they came within a week of me being taken to the hospital. It took about three months for them to, for the adoption to be completed. Um, the government, the Romanian government didn't want to give me up. And so my dad, um, he's a lawyer. Um, and oh, he's he a lawyer actually, now, your adopted dad. Mm-hmm, my adopted dad is a lawyer. My mom was a nurse um, and they actually spent three months fighting for me um, in the court to gain custody of me and bring me back to the state. Well, let me ask you about Romania for a moment there. And and you've mentioned a moment ago, you've been back since, correct? I have. To your birth country. Okay, we'll, we'll get more into that after. But let me bring it back to adoption in Romania. How big of a problem is that there, Hannah? And how many, do you have, have you ever looked at that to see, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of young people, young babies that mm-hmm. don't find love in homes or get into different circumstances, no. right? Talk. Yeah, there are a significant amount of orphanages there. Um, I mean, it's, it's definitely a problem. I mean, do you realize at this moment how blessed you are? 100%. <laughs> yeah, 100 Not be more grateful. <laughs> I mean, think about that, Hannah. That's, that's un- I, I mean, I open it up with the word fate, fate, right? Fate. Yeah, simple, simple, mm-hmm. right? But fate plays a big part of this story and plays a part of about every story. But think about that fate that that couple was in the system looking for a child and it just happened to be Romania. Where were this couple, your adopted parents, where are they from out of the United States? So my dad is from um, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and my mom um, is from New Zealand. Oh, cool. Cool. Love New Zealand. Have you been to New Zealand? I have. Yeah, I love um, New We Zealand. went there a lot growing up. It's so pretty, right? Isn't it amazing? Flying into New Zealand with the, with the North Island and the South Island, huh? It's, a, it's an amazing paradise there, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. As of late, though. I know. Um, yeah, we know that. But uh, let, let me move it onward. And, and then, so I, the, the amount of children, kids, babies that don't find a home in Romania. So I would think a large percentage of the majority of these young people live in orphanages Mm -hmm. for their entire life, don't they? Until they're adult, right? Completely right, yes. And some may be fortunate and get a foster home. Do they do foster homes out there? I am not sure, but they definitely, it is living in an orphanage, you know, where they don't have... um, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. the luxury, you know, or the support of having an actual family. So, right. um, you know, it's the same concept. Well, you, you see those movies sometimes, you know, the, the old movies where you see and uh, they are um, the orphanages in, in Europe and they're interesting, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, less than pleasant experiences sometimes that go on in these facilities, you know. Um, 
And that's a whole nother set of circumstances. So three months later, you make the journey because of your adopted parents to the United States of America, right? And where, where, did, you come, where did you come to? What state? Washington. So Seattle, Washington. That's where I grew up. Is that where you grew up? Seattle. I didn't know that. Seattle, Washington is where you grew up. Okay. And, and your yeah. parents were from that area. Now, are they still from that area now? Or are they where you are in Texas? Or mm-hmm. No, they still live in Seattle. They do. Uh, okay. Yeah, and I, I have a seven-year-old sister who's their biological daughter. In, in, you mean she's seven now? Uh, no, she is 35 now. So she was seven years older than me. Um, she, I met her right when I flew in from the airport in Romania, from Romania. Very cool. And that's, and that's their uh, daughter, and she lives in Seattle. She lives in New Orleans now, but she, yes, grew up with me in Seattle. Wow. Why did your parents decide to go to Romania to find a child and not some other country? Romania, based on the fact that um, her sister, my mother's sister, had had adopted, you know, two um, girls from Romania a year and um, two years um, prior. But um, so that's really where, you know, Romania came into play. Um, They had planned to adopt a baby um, regardless um, after my sister. Yeah. And did your dad, did your aunt, I guess it would be your aunt, her sister, did they, did they live in Seattle as well, and where you got to know their your cousins, I guess? They live in New Zealand, So, oh. but we did go frequently. I mean, I've been to New Zealand probably about seven times or so. So we had, um, you know, Christmas over there. Um, they came to America. So we have a relationship, um, you know, with my cousins. Um, and actually, the one of my cousins um, found her biological parents. Um, through Facebook. Was was that a good experience? Yeah. So I know that sometimes that doesn't end well, um, but but completely she found out she had a sister. She looks exactly like her grandfather. Um, So I I think things couldn't have gone better. I know that she doesn't have, you know, an extremely strong relationship with them, but just kind of knowing and um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know. Do you you have that, like, do you feel like you have a bond with your, your cousins, just because you both were adopted from Romania, kind of there's some special feeling there? Yeah, yeah, I think to a certain extent. I mean, I think that that being adopted, you know, knowing somebody else that's adopted, regardless, you just understand that. You understand the feelings behind it. So it has got to be a help um, for sure, yeah. Hannah, I, I want to talk about you as a young child grown up. Uh, I, I, it's very interesting, and I, I, it, let's look through your eyes a moment. At what age did you find out that you were adopted? So when I was thinking about that, probably around the age of six or seven, um, my parents, I remember they told me as young as I can remember. So they never tried to hide the fact that I was, um, you know, not their biological daughter. Um, So, but it wasn't until middle school that I, I really started to understand, understand what being adopted meant. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you so you knew uh, you knew early on. Okay, um, what did that mean to you? I'm I'm very curious as a six year old or an eight year old or a ten year old. What does that mean to you? Well, according to my sister, um, that I wasn't wanted. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll be more serious. Um, 
I mean, from my perspective now, it's completely different um, than when I was a child. I did not understand that, mm-hmm. you know, I was chosen. Um, yeah. Because that, when it comes down to it, I mean, my parents, you know, flew over there to adopt a baby um, right. that they they wanted. Um, and I think being a kid, uh, you, you just don't understand that concept. You know, you're like, no, you can't. You can't have yeah, you can't possibly. Yeah. But, but but listen to what you just said a moment. I know. I love that. Th- that's the antidote. What you just spoke about, though, is the mm-hmm. antidote to the sister saying the other thing, that the fact that you're special and chosen. Now, think, let's think about that a moment compared to, again, the sister who says, well, they didn't want you. This would be the antidote to that whole problem. Now, your sister, obviously, siblings do those kinds of things. So she mm-hmm. teased you a lot when you were younger that way, what does she think, what does she say today about that? I'm curious. Anything? Does that ever? Yeah, no, we have a relationship that's evolved, you know, um, it wasn't the strongest when we were kids and then she went to college and we built, um, a relationship. Um, and she moved to new Orleans when I was there. Um, but you know, we've just been different. I mean, I think bringing a, a baby, um, into the family, there was some jealousy there, and that's well, She was seven at the time. Remember, she was seven years older, right? Yeah, she was seven already. And she yeah. wanted a sister. She wanted a. She and asked for sister. a baby sister. Right, right. So, so, so she had these mixed feelings, kind of thing, throughout that time, uh, and uh, um, she obviously. I'm I'm sure a lot of human emotions play into these things from a sibling standpoint. I'm sure jealousy plays into things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of human emotions that play into that whole structure, I think. And I think everybody Maybe. is different how they handle it, clearly. But growing up, you were, so there was this competition. Now, I, I'm going to assume that most young people like this are struggle with this, that they also have, being accepted by their siblings, I'm saying, that's got to be a pretty common thing, isn't it, Hannah? Yes. Most definitely. And I mean, her being seven years older, you know, I was the obnoxious um, younger sister who just wanted to be surrounded by her friends, you know, with the the older kids and just be a part of everything. And so I understand, you know, why she felt the way she did um, to a certain extent, you know, years later. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was that that age difference. I'm curious to ask you this next. uh, And and this is a hard question, but but, but an interesting one in this case here. Did your parents treat you any different than your sister? I think uh, my parents were more supportive um, of me in a way. And I think that's where some of that jealousy from my sister was rooted from. Um, mm. Interesting. In that my dad, um, I definitely was closer with my dad than my mom growing up. Um, but my dad was there, you know, taking me to my two sports practices, you know, every single day, he was there on the sidelines. Um, every single game I had, um, it was just one of those things where he just spent a significant amount of time with me, um, versus my sister. And, um, and I also, I, I grew up, um, well, it wasn't until high school we found out, but I have ADHD. And so, you know, just more, um, involvement and time was spent with me. And so I think that there was some resentment in there. You know, she was a great student. Um, she, you know, didn't, she wasn't a problem child or anything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, um, I definitely 
you know, realized I started acting, acting out, um, getting in trouble at school, talking back to my parents, you know, um, in middle school when I kind of was going through the trials and triumphs of growing up. So I, we were just two very different. I find that structure very an interesting piece of the story and how you're brought up with that. I, I think before we leave this part of the conversation and talk about um, how this has impacted your life, Hannah, today and what you're doing today, I mean, as, as an American now and who you are, mm-hmm. you know, there's something that always bothered me. And I want to talk to you about this to see if, if it bothers you. When people and I, when people I know in life, and we say like they use the terms, and and they're frequently used. They're and many times they're not even used in a hostile way. But it's my stepdaughter, my stepson, or my adopted. You know, it's this kind of a term we use. We use these words in front of other words rather than just say it's my daughter or my son. We tend and those words can. I, I think some people they they can be sharp sometimes, or they can. Um, they put a focus on sometimes something that doesn't really need to be there. Or, for instance, in your case, a perfect example. I know a lot of people who have been adopted. And then instead of accepting their mother or father, when we use the term, oh, this is my, maybe you're at some event, some party, some, this is my adopted mother. Or this is my, rather than, oh, this is my mom. Why is that so important in society today? And this comes in later on when we talk about the work you're doing now and how you're doing it as we dial this back. But... Why do you think that is so important that we point out it's my stepsister, my stepbrother, my this, my that, my adopted this? Do do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. People labeling that, I mean, I haven't ever met somebody um, in my case that says, you know, being adopted, that this is my adopted mom. You know, for the most part, it's always this is my mom, this is my dad. So they don't use, Um, they don't put an emphasis on the word adopted. You don't hear that as much. You know what I hear? Yeah, but you know what I hear a lot of? I don't know if you agree with this or not, but where they say, this is my, I'm looking for my, when people go to find their parents from earlier, they say, well, I want to find my real mother or my real father. Boy, that really irritates me when I hear that. You know that. Yeah. And I've actually, I mean, come to think about it when you say that, you know, said that when I was um, a kid before now I say, you know, my biological mother, but I definitely was like, you oh, know, you I said wanna, real. that's what they I, do. That's what you do. Right. And this is my real mother. Father. But how wrong is that about society? This really irks me about society that we, yeah. t- I mean, you're real. You mean the people who had sex one night? You mean the people who abandoned you? You mean the people who had no decency to do X? Are those yeah. the people yeah. you mean? Are those the people that come under the word real? I mean, hello. Yeah, Malcolm, I, I had a stepmother. And, but, you know, probably when I was in high school, when I was in the ninth grade, my dad remarried. So I always called her my stepmom, and my m- real mom was still alive, and we had a, uh, you know, a relationship even after, you know, she had left when I was five. So I, I guess, you know, maybe I used that term stepmom because I didn't still, even though my mom had left, I still had that feeling of innate, you know, she was my mom, like uh, my birth mom. And so, you know, and, and maybe, you know, my stepmother, we didn't have that great relationship. So it was like, probably that's why I said she was my stepmom. And even when my dad remarried again, when he was a lot older, um, you know, I always called my, uh, my, my mom, third mom a stepmom. But it's, I don't know, it must have something to do with that feeling of closeness or of birth or, or something. It just, 
I don't know if I did it intentionally because a I lot of distant myself from her. A lot of people do it. It's yeah. very common, but but it's even worse than that. As I just shared with Hannah, when they use the word real, yeah. they say, well, I'm going, and you hear this, like you mentioned your friends earlier, Hannah. You talked about your friends, right? And they're going to find, and I've heard this so many times for so many people, they have a need to go find their real mother and father. When I hear that, I cringe inside. I, I tighten right up and I, I right away think about, boy, the harm they're doing to, the, to their mm -hmm. real mother and father today, who is the people who care for them. That is your real mother and father. Mm -hmm. The people who care for yeah. you, that, is, that, shouldn't be, that shouldn't be fake. That shouldn't be stepped. That shouldn't be anything. That's real. I mean, if yeah. you want to talk Hannah in real mm -hmm. terms, I, I think, does that make sense or is that Hannah? Well, completely. I mean, that's the nature versus nurture argument, you know. Um, yeah, my biological mom um, gave birth to me, my genes, everything, you know, the way I look, my characteristics, but my adopted parents are the ones who really nurtured me, you know. And you um, consider them your mother and father, I'm assuming, right? Today, this exactly. is your mom and dad. I mean, yes. you can clearly think about these other people who, you know, abandoned mm -hmm. you. And imagine if you had said, I want to go find my, which you might have as a child, your real mother and father, how they would have felt, the real mother and father who abandoned you to die on a doorstep somewhere. I mean, that can't be too real. There's something wrong with the vernacular of what we use and the words we use. And I, I just think it's interesting to point that out. All right, where Hannah goes next uh, in this uh, interesting story and the psychological aspect, I, I do find the whole adoption process very interesting i've studied it uh, mm -hmm. people in my life who experienced it in different ways and it is interesting uh it's interesting psychologically too from the eyes and ears of a young hannah what she thinks growing up and you were very honest and forthright to say well i was a spoiled little brat at some point you know i didn't realize everything i'd had and then you get to a point where you realize, well, that point I want to talk about next, when you realize that it all changed for you, because some of the work you're doing now is absolutely incredible. And I'm wondering what the driving force was. I, I get, well, I have a feeling I know what the drive, but what was the impetus that really made this uh, spark happen? We'll take that up, friends, next on The Brink of Greatness. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world, to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Okay, we join you back here on the brink of greatness. It's Malcolm Out Loud with Kevin Williams here. We're speaking. Our brink thinker today is Hannah Elizabeth Doherty. We spent a little more time than usual talking about the earlier part of the story here. But Hannah, as you have discovered in the first part of this, if you've listened in the beginning, she was born in Romania. Uh, in 91, she was dropped on a doorstep uh, with the umbilical cord still attached to her bleeding. Luckily, she had some parents from the United States who traveled to Romania. And there were a lot of good people in the States here who adopt children from all over the world, friends, from a lot of countries. Um, Americans have big hearts. 
and uh, and they traveled and and Hannah was one of the blessed ones. She was the lucky one. She was one of the really blessed ones because Hannah, as you said moments ago, the orphanages are full in Romania, and a lot of children never. You were just you were so blessed. You are you you are special. She was the chosen one. You are special, <laughs> obviously. You know. You must bless, be blessed and thank your stars every day and your parents. Now, what are your, can you tell me the first names of your parents, please? Yeah, my father's name is Anthony and mother's name is Carol. Anthony and Carol. We have to, have to raise them up mm-hmm. again because that's amazing. I hope they hear this amazing talk, but they are blessed people uh, to have uh, made that trip and done this experience. And you were so kind to, and you even said they, they treated you um, at times even more special you know yeah you mentioned how your dad took you to all the sporting events like you know take you every day was he like into sports himself did he love sports or he was just a good guy yeah he was just a good guy i mean he watched the mariners you know baseball but other than that i mean maybe some basketball he loves villanova but it really was about being there and supporting me on the sidelines you know he would take me to all my tryouts for all of my teams and you know that just was a significant amount of well, my childhood it sounds I mean, like you were very close to dad i mean you've already pointed that out you had yeah. a very special relationship with him and that obviously grew and grew mm-hmm. uh let, let's talk about this next chapter now of when you let's when you turn when this whole thing happens to you uh, as a young lady so what happens because right now you're the founder of uh, tell folks right now gen up sports gen up sports mm-hmm. G-E-N-U-P. Let's bring it back to, again, when did this all happen and what was the turning point in your life, Hannah? So I think starting um, all the way back into middle school, and this is kind of where, you know, Jen Up has evolved now. But so, you know, when I really started to understand my adoption, just going through all the experiences, you know, trials of triumphs and being of being a middle school kid, um, I started developing a fear of abandonment, uh, started acting up, like I said before, um, getting in trouble, talking back to my parents. Um, but sports um, was really the one thing that gave me direction in my life, you know, aside from my parents being there um, when, you know, things weren't going well. Um, sports were there. And I, I developed kind of that notion of teamwork, um, self-confidence, and that's when I started to figure out who I was. Um, so I started volunteering with my mom around that time, really trying to give back to the community and, and you know, practice gratitude for everything I had been given. I, I really, um, because that's when I realized that, you know, um, how lucky I was. And so I found a passion in that. Um, and then fast forward a little bit in high school, I went down to New Orleans um, after Katrina um, to help rebuild and just kept finding a passion in, um, you know, working with people and, you know, philanthropy and just um, giving back. That's really, you know, what I was passionate about. And so. Now, why were you that way? Was it more so because you, this, what you were gratified, Hannah, with what, I mean, how much of that did that play into that in your life? Yeah, you mean with the fact that you felt you wanted to give back, you had to give back and volunteer. And where does that come from? Yeah, so I mean, my mom definitely. Um, you know, before I understood I should give back, um, she was the one who had me um, out volunteering with her. She ran um, a 
nonprofit for um, homeless um, animals and they would have vet care there. And so I would go with her and I would um, help her out, you know, volunteer and just start to understand and really talk to people. Um, and that's kind of all rooted from, you know, my mom really starting that with me at a young age. So at this point, you're starting to do all of that. And, and what happens next? How does this all develop then? So I ended up um, going to Loyola for um, undergrad. I was a student athlete. Um, and then I finished my master's degree at University of Miami. Um, I got my degree in sport administration. So that's in between that time was really when I realized you know, I want to do something that I'm passionate about. Um, and that was, I had been involved, you know, with psychology um, in sports. And I'm like, why am I not putting this all together? Then I started to think about where the help, uh, where the need was, where um, that was necessary. And I just put everything together, you know, with the help of, um, and support of a significant amount of people in my life. That's how Gen Up Sports was developed. You know, it was really founded through that notion of I never wanted any child to ever feel alone, kind of like I did at points in my life. Um, so kind of through love and just understanding and um, being able to provide mentorship and um, creating that structure and an outlet um, just I had, you know, when I was a kid. Um, and I really wanted to do something where I could give, you know, kids um, the resources necessary um, for them to, you know, get through the trials of their lives. Um, you know, the some of them, the kids that we work with come from foster um, homes, you know, they didn't have parents there to support them. So now, it you, it's you, really... Did you seek them out because of that, the, back to the kids in the foster homes? Was that, that a special need for you that you wanted to fill? I think it ended up being that way. Um, okay. You know, I didn't plan on doing that, but, but that it, it happened, happened that way. Well, that's um, it cool. just so, um, so that's really, you know, the beginning of it. Um, so we work with... Um, disadvantaged and incarcerated youth um, wow. doing, you know, um, we provide um, health and wellness education, fitness classes and scholarships um, for them. So, you know, the main focus is really trying to empower our youth and, and working one-on-one -on -one with them to develop the self-esteem and um, trust and life skills that are necessary um, for them to transition back into their lives. Um, and communities really, you know, some are actually going back to, you know, their families, some are broken families, some don't have families to go back to. So they're on their own when they come out of these facilities. It's kind of like what our program's doing is, is giving our youth that structure and sense of normalcy that they may not have experienced, you know, at other points of their life. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, What's interesting is I was reading more of your backstory as well, uh, and you talk about through your, um, I, I'm, I'm seeing now the connection with Jen Up and why you took the leap forward and why you have this passion to help the kids out. Because as you say here, when you got into your teen years, I guess, you started feeling more alone, that you had that feeling of loneliness, huh? And through the middle mm -hmm. school years, is that kind of... And that's kind of something you can relate to now. And uh, that, that was kind of a 
bit of a troublesome chapter for you, wasn't it, Hannah, that you had to get through? Yeah, completely. And and for me, it's kind of like, you know, I, I mean, I was given, I had a great upbringing. I was given every opportunity in the world. Um, I went to private schools, you know, was involved in sports, um, but and had a, a lot of friends, um, but some of these kids don't, you know, and so if I'm coming from a place like that, that I still felt alone, and I still was going through all this, mm-hmm. you know, you can't even imagine what these kids are feeling kind of coming from environments where they don't even have any support. Um, so that is such a great yeah. point. That is such a great point, man, I tell you. And so you have a real appreciation for all, for all, for everybody, but for all these kids that have are struggling mm-hmm. through it, um, that's got to be the the connection point to you. That that's got to help you a lot today to be able to relate with them, right? To be able to relate to all these mm-hmm. kids, right? Yeah, I mean, and our our students come from uh, various backgrounds, so I mean, they're coming from poverty, you know, abuse, neglect, um, just unstable living conditions, all. So we see a lot um, and it's, you know, obviously every single um, young adult um, or youth, they're all different. So we have to find different ways on mentoring them and kind of helping them develop. Um, and, you know, they it takes a while to build trust as well because some That's of right. them, you know, haven't right. been able to trust anybody in their life yet. Trust is a big word in all this. Trust is, is, is significant. I mean, uh, I mean, if they don't trust you, you're not going to be able to accomplish anything. I mean, until there's trust Completely. there. Yeah, that's a big word. Um, you know, when you founded, I realized too, this really is a new organization because you founded this last year in 2018, right? And mm-hmm. talk to me about, it was more than just, uh, was it you and a group of friends or yeah, so, well, initially, um, you know, I founded it. Uh, my boyfriend um, was involved in um, sports, and so he kind of helped me a little bit. Um, everybody else kind of got involved a little bit later, but they're all the ones that brought it to where it is now. So uh, initially, we had we started two different partnerships, one with the Texas Juvenile Justice Department, um, and one with City House, and City House um, is a transition house for abused, neglected, and homeless mm. um, kids. So we started out, you know, working with those kids, and then eventually, you know, more people um, gained interest and wanted to work with the kids, and so we started going through the process of background checks and getting volunteers and people that really had a heart and a passion for wanting to help. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It, you know, it, it moved pretty quickly, but that's really, so, I mean, I have a significant amount of help now. And how many volunteers do you have now then? So there are only about six of us. So we're still pretty small. Um, and that's the thing is that I, you know, there's always people that, that want to be involved and we have to be very careful, um, with working with the kids and, there's a significant pro- process with the Texas Juvenile Justice Department and the background checks involved and everything. So um, in that regard, you know, all of us are working like very, um, you know, one-on-one with the kids, um, but we have to be careful. So we're kind of slowly bringing people on um, in that way, just so that, you know, it runs smoothly. Um, the kids are able to get to know them, that kind of thing. So do you work, is it a one-on-one? So six of you are working with six kids or 
Are you working with multiple kids at the same time? How does that work? So we'll work with, so it's one-on-one, um, sometimes, you know, talking to them, um, that, that mentorship side, um, but it is with also like the fitness class side is with a group of kids. So we've had 40 kids at one time hmm. um, before. Wow. So it varies. Um, it also varies in that two of the facilities we work with, um, one of them has a significant amount of outdoor space. So they have baseball fields and, um, you know, grassy areas, just a lot of space for them to do outside activities. The other facility that we work with is it's very small inside. So we're doing some of those fitness classes inside with them. Um, you know, they've come to our complex as well. Um, but other than that, it's really, yeah, it just depends on kind of where we're working at because um, some of those those organizations just don't have um, the feasibility, you know, to, to bring a lot of people in also. So you have a location, you have a place where they come, right? Right there in Pl- Plano, Texas, is it? Yes. So yeah. we have a workout facility at my complex. Um, we don't have an actual, you know, that's something in the future that we're looking at doing um, purchasing a warehouse, that kind of thing, housing. But, um, but as far as right now goes, yeah. Yeah. That's what it yeah. Well, let me tell folks now that, uh, let me give you the website as well, friends, genupsports.org. And we'll, we'll have all of this in the post as well. Here's what I'd like to touch on as we get into the next chapter and we talk about some of these kids and some of the case studies and experiences that uh, that Hannah's been involved in. Um, let me let me bring to your attention as well on on Hannah's site. Uh, you can donate to help her out through the mission, uh, as all of the charities that we support here on the brink of greatness. If you go to the brinkofgreatness.com, there's a link there called Brink Charities. And if you click that, as you're hearing this, uh, you will find uh, an easy connection to get to her site and to be able to contribute and find out. Now, when you're there on Brink Charities, you will find some of the most awesome people on the planet doing incredible work. And I encourage you to take a look at a few of these operations and, and, you know, every little bit helps these people because these are real people doing real work on the front lines of America. And that's what really matters. I think this is a big deal, but we have to support them, right? We have to support them. So listen, I mean, every $50,000 counts somewhere. So if you have a few dollars, this is a place to invest it and put it into the future, into our kids, into life. Uh, And there's so many great choices of charities there on the site. So please take a look at that as well. Now, again, every Brink of Greatness show, to remind you, plays on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday on America Out Loud Talk Radio. You can hear it on iHeartRadio. Just look for America Out Loud Talk Radio or get the apps, Android, Apple, and now Alexa. You can now get it tied to your Alexa and just say, listen to America Out Loud, and it will come right on. Uh, for you. And that's very cool. So the app is now on Alexa as well. And we're excited to have that there. And a lot of people are listening from Alexa as well. A lot of people have that uh, speaker. Uh, They love it. They love it. So um, uh, that's very cool stuff. And uh, so take a look at that. All the shows go to podcast on Tuesdays and you'll find those at thebrinkofgreatness.com. You'll also find them at our mothership at americaoutloud.com. Friends, stay right there. We'll continue on with The Brink of Greatness with Hannah Elizabeth Doherty in just a moment. People often ask me, what is a Brink thinker? 
Well, Brink thinkers, they're those leaders who have learned to nurture, persist, and expand their thoughts. The brink of courage or bravery, the brink of peace in the world, the brink of death just before life, the brink of victim turned victor, the brink of no boundaries that leads to innovation, the brink of societal change so desperately needed, the brink of never stopping until the realization of your goal. We are on the brink of greatness. Welcome to the show. This is Malcolm Out Loud. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Today's generation, tomorrow's leaders. So your focus on Gen Up Sports is the youth. It's clearly the kids, as you've been pointing out. It's really showing them a better way. But sports is very therapeutic you pointed out early in your years it's funny how you gravitated towards sports a lot of this has to do with your upbringing with your dad and all of that and that connection to sports sports is you have team building you have the again therapeutic the uh, the opportunity to bond and the, the opportunity to get all those endorphins moving in your body and do extraordinary things sports is cool that's it's something that you're using it to the best of the ability to connect the kids and to make their lives better and do something with it. Talk to us about that, the need of that, Hannah, and how kids relate yeah. to sports. And, and give us a case study or two. Uh, it would be really interesting to hear from you on that. Yeah, so, um, I mean, th- our youth is learning, you know, teamwork, um, competition um, with the sports. And I think that they're growing that notion of self-confidence that's really tangible because they're actually able to perceive and, and see their worth, you know, when they achieve those goals, whether, you know, it's it's working as a team, passing a ball around, um, scoring a goal, you know. Um, we We also... Um, go through kind of their why um, and I don't think that everybody even knows that you know at age 50 but um, one of those the main things you know we have the kids focus on is kind of like what are what are your goals right now you know when you get out of here what are so you ask them what their goals are when they when they get done with the program and all yeah, I mean, the bigger picture of things, you know, and how can we kind of help you get there? What's in your past? You know, what happened? Where did you come from? So sometimes we don't, um, some of the kids are very quiet. You know, they don't like to kind of talk about their past experiences up front. I mean, they're very hurt by them. Um, some were, you know, abused, um, whether that's sexually. Hannah, what yeah, percentage we, of kids are abused to what degree? Are we talking, uh, what percentage? Is it 50%? Is it 
Yeah, so, oh, at our different facilities. So there is one one of the facilities that we work with. Um, all of those kids um, have essentially been abused, and then um, some of them have engaged, you know, in alcohol abuse and, and that kind of thing. But really, um, yeah, they're coming from It brings on a whole other set of problems, right? I mean, listen, it could yeah. be physical oh, abuse, completely. could be mental abuse, could be sexual abuse, right? Abuse comes in many, yeah. many types, yeah. And, and so you're, you're in many forms and you're helping them get through that and then set goals. So this is a big deal, what you're doing. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you want to hear some kind of, you know, Let's one of it. the statistics that we went off of, yeah. I mean, so when a child's born, only 15% of their brain is developed. So the next, you know, 85% happens in, um, their first two years of life. So when you think about that, you know, when, if a kid's experiencing that abuse, neglect, that child's brain is going to be hardwired to those negative experiences. And that's what happens. So it literally alters how their stress systems reacting, um, the way that they're thinking and, and that's where their trust issues come from and in inevitably their relationships. So that's one of the things that, you know, we are, are working with them on to kind of reverse that, that process and rewire their brains in a healthy, productive way. And that's just, that's not something that solely as my organization, you know, our organization, we can do. Um, but it's, it's kind of, you know, we're, we're going all the way back to the root of um, those problems that exist, you know, and trying to give them those outlets um, through all of this and just helping them through it in that way. Yeah. I'm just looking at your team, by the way, on your site. It's a good looking team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell us about them because I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I just looking at them now. It's very cool. Your vice president, pronounce her name? My, my Neglin. My Neglin, yeah. And is, was this somebody you knew before this? Was this a friend or somebody you met strictly through Jenna? So we met through... We met through business, um, through Northwestern Mutual, actually. Um, and she kind of went into talking about, you know, stories about wanting to actually help youth. She was talking about, um, working, you know, with homeless and, and things like that. And just kind of what her goals for the future were. And that's really where our relationship developed. Well, she looks Um, like an awesome woman and and she was born in Hong Kong, by the way. So she, and she, Yeah, she looks really cool. And then Stephen Howard, uh, leadership expert and treasurer. What what uh, what does he do for the group? Yeah, so he um, does some of the leadership um, speaking with the kids. So that's his, you know, full time job. He works as an ESPN analyst, um, but he really he works has worked with kids um, throughout his entire life, mentoring, developing them, um, having a leadership program. So that's really kind of you know, the backbone of that side of things. Yeah. And then Olivia's the secretary, Zelda grant coordinator and Samantha, huh? Health, health and wellness coach. Yeah. But it's, it's amazing though. If you read some of the profiles mm-hmm. of some of these people, even like Zelda, that she was involved in like best, which is business ending slavery and trafficking. Yeah. Uh, if you look at Samantha, right. Uh, she was like, wish, you know, wish makers, you know, and helping the Special Olympics and coaching them. Yeah. So it's like all of them have some kind of, you know, empathy uh, for kids yeah. and to help them, you know, better their lives. And it's just like, a, 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 I guess I would say a chosen team. 
Yeah, Kevin, thanks for bringing that out. That's cool. That's cool. Um, it is a it is a it is a sharp looking team. I mean, when you look at them. So, uh, and that's a great point. But you you've got to have that empathy, obviously, to help others. That's the connection in all of this. Your stats also under the uh, about us, one in five children in North Texas lives in poverty. More than 260,000 children in the area are considered food insecure, leaving them with limited access for opportunities. And that kind of is a focus of what you're looking at. Then you get into things you have to deal with, drug, drug and alcohol use, uh, mm-hmm. emotional stability uh, problems. Um, did you, had you had any of those problems yourself personally, drugs and alcohol use, or is that a problem for you, Hannah? It isn't. No. But I, but I can say, you know, of course, being in, in New Orleans and being emotional and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely understand the emotional side of it and, and Hmm. going down that. Yeah. (laughs) What do you, what do you say to, I mean, I'm going to, I mean, are you like, are you enjoying what you're doing right at this moment of time? Is this, is this a dream for you? This is definitely a dream for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I like it. I like it. Let's talk a moment. Help me out. I want you to help folks out that are listening right now. There are a lot of people who want to do cool things out there or they want to help other people or they have a dream, whatever the dream is in their life, but they're afraid to, uh, they don't know how to jumpstart the dream. Uh, They don't, what we say on the brink here is they don't know how to make the leap forward. Take a moment here, help encourage people how to take that next leap forward. What's your recommendations? Yeah, I think that somebody needs to really kind of look inside and just really kind of one, see your worth and, um, you know, that you really can do anything that you set your mind to, you know, that everybody's out there wanting to support you, you know, and kind of get you to where you want to be. So that's, um, I mean, the first step is really believing in yourself because, you know, if if you don't believe in yourself, you can't get much further than that. So do you, do you think that came from all the volunteer work that you did, that it helped you believe in yourself by seeing others and, you know, just feeling grateful for where you are? Yeah. I mean, I would I definitely acknowledge any, everybody to go out into their community, you know, and um, give back because I think it just makes you realize, you know, we're all human um, and everybody is fighting their own battles. So, if, if if more people did that, I think um, the world would be a know. better place is what it would be yeah. for sure. Hannah, yeah. when you hear the words, t- tell me what this means to you. When I say the words to reach for the American dream, what does the American dream mean to you? The American dream is, I mean, to me, it's being happy. <laughs> so, I mean, I know for most people, you know, you see the white picket fence and all the money in the world and, you know, lucrative career. Um, but I think, you know, you don't, you go through life and what do you have left if you're not happy? Um, you don't build those relationships. You don't, you know, give back um, another thing. It's really... I think that's, you know, the American dream. People come here because they want to be happy. Um, yeah, they, they, money, you know, gets you further in life in, in a way. It can make you happy, but I think um, that has to really come from within. And that's why I say, you know, the root of everything is, is believing in yourself first. 
what I've seen the most of um, is really the drug abuse um, and kind of getting through that and a significant amount of, you know, that drug abuse comes from um, the child's background, you know, whether their parent was there, whether their parent wasn't there. Um, they decided, you know, they weren't going to go to school. Um, so really, we're working on the, I mean, talking them through all of this mm -hmm. and giving them other outlets. So whether that's doing the fitness program with them, you know, or kind of just giving them um, things they can do on their own, like write write a note to um, somebody they care about or even just to themselves. Um, I think that the, the main thing from some of these experiences, and I say that I, I'd say that drug alcohol abuse, um, that's just a significant amount of the kids in one of the facilities that those are who we work with. You know, seeing them be able to go and take what we're giving, um, some of the um, fitness lessons, um, some of their goals to write it out, to actually uh, be involved in um, talking to um, some of the officers that are helping them with that continuity, getting them into, you know, the workforce after um, being in these facilities, kind of having a vision for their future. Um, we didn't, when we first came in, I didn't see that. So I don't want to say that I'm like we're the reason that these kids are changing their mind frame because they have counselors, they have other people coming in and kind of doing that mentorship and development also. But um, I think, you know, going through that process, giving them these outlets and then giving them not necessarily homework, but things to do to really um, maybe exert their energy in different ways, um, start thinking about life in different ways, knowing that they can do this. Um, and that there is a future for them, you know, to get out of there. When you can get the kids to connect with themselves, as you say, to look in the inner self and, and have, that's where confidence comes from and the ability to, to achieve uh, really anything in your life has to come from inside of you. And so given that confidence to these young people, as you say, the next generation, that's a, that's a big role. That's a vital role. And it's one that you're clearly doing. So let me give folks the information. It's genupsports.org, G-E-N-U-P, friends, genupsports.org. All the links will be in the post here at thebrinkofgreatness.com and on americaoutloud.com. You'll find those every Tuesday when the shows go to podcast. It goes to podcast networks worldwide. You can get it on any podcast. You can also subscribe on Apple to The Brink of Greatness, and then the podcast will come to you every week. It's the easiest way to do it, clearly. Even more than that, we'd love you to join us on the weekend on Saturday and Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the premiere of every show every weekend on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Uh, again, get the apps on that, Android, Apple, uh, Alexa, or iHeartRadio, you can hear us, uh, or many, many networks, friends. So uh, again, this, this uh, platform is unique. It's about bringing out the best of humanity. It's focusing on um, cool stories like today, like our Brink thinker, Hannah Elizabeth Doherty, uh, and so many others out there. You'll find all the cool stories you can read and listen to on the platform there on the Brink of Greatness. Um, and it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey people take. And uh, there's a lot of good news out there, actually. There's a lot of people doing really cool things on the planet. 
And the goal of this platform is to highlight those stories and bring them to you. And I, I think it's important. I think there's a lot more that needs to be in the news that we don't have. And that's what we want to change. Uh, put a smile on people's face or get them to think outside of all the the mayhem and the, the negativity that surrounds the news on a daily basis, right? I and mean, that's what this has got to be about, friends. So, brink of greatness can only happen when you're willing to push beyond the boundaries and the limitations that are holding you back. Ask yourself what's holding you back, friends. Remember to take the next leap forward.